This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. My name is Austin or Teacup. I am your co-host and guide for this podcast. And I'm Teacup or Shelby and I am your lore master for this show. Yeah, and so we are continuing with our season three on our episode of Magics, Demons, and Spirits. And so what do we got today? Um, yeah, so our last content episode, not our last episode, that was our patron chat, but our last content episode was about Lyrium. So, of course, it just makes sense to talk about Red Lyrium next. So that's what we're doing today. Red Lyrium. It's not good. No, and I'm going to be honest, I like started this research like four different times and like three at least of the four times I just got too creeped out and had to stop doing the research. So here we are. I finally finished it. You want to start us off with some fun facts? I sure do. So first of all, at its core, red lyrium is essentially blighted regular lyrium. It is both more potent and more addictive than regular lyrium. Um, As with regular lyrium, red lyrium is typically found in like crystallized form. If you want to know what this looks like, just load up a save of Dragon Age Inquisition and head to the Empress du Leon and you will find just a butt ton of red lyrium growing all over the place. Yep. Everywhere. Literally. And additionally, wherever red lyrium is found, it always emanates a really noticeable heat coming from it. That's interesting. Is it? I feel like they kind of communicate that well in the show, in the game. I mean, yes, they do now that I think about it, but it's still interesting. Yeah. Well, this next uh, fun fact is my last fun fact. And I think this one is the most interesting, Um, but regular lyrium, is a magical substance like that is very clearly documented we can all agree like there's no there's no disagreeing on that fact however red lyrium has often been referred to as an anti-magical substance it does not enhance a mage's abilities rather it enhances a templar's abilities okay i got a couple of thoughts not to deal with us for for too long but the fact that it doesn't enhance a magical ability, but does a Templar, just gives me all kinds of thoughts on, like, the blight. 
the blight isn't anti-magical. I know it has its own form of magic, and it can even, like, give species that previously couldn't use magic the ability to use magic. But blighted lyria, I guess, I guess, in a way, it kind of would make sense. I'm just thinking out loud here, so bear with me. It would make sense because a blight turns a living creature or a sentient creature into a not sentient creature. They're still alive, but they're like, it's kind of like a weird hybrid between like a zombie and what looks like an orc from Lord of the Rings. That's true. So it would be natural that like you're kind of turn. it turns life into the opposite of life. So it turns lyrium into the opposite of lyrium. So it turns something magical into something not magical. Right. Yeah. No, I think that tracks. Okay, well, let's move into uses and effects and all that kind of stuff. So unlike normal lyrium, red lyrium does not require mining by the dwarves, which we know anyone can mine it because like half at least of the places we go in Dragon Age Inquisition, we encounter Venatori who are enslaving people to mine red lyrium. So also red lyrium does not require dilution or ingestion to affect you negatively. Simply being around it is enough to have a detrimental effect on you. And Varric says this at the very beginning of Dragon Age Inquisition when you're still like in the tutorial introduction section where you're, you're walking down, I think into this temple of sacred ash and he's like, Oh my gosh, there's, there's red temple or red lyrium here. Like how, how can this be? And then he's like, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Nobody touch it. Don't think about touching it. Don't think about thinking about touching it. Uh, nobody caught my walk the line reference there. I did. <laughs> you didn't comment on it. Yes. But Varric even says, he's like, that stuff is evil. And he uses the word evil to describe it. Yeah, I think that's interesting that he uses that word specifically. Um, But also makes sense, you know, with his story with Bartrand and everything. But anyway, so depending on like the person who's using Red Lyrium, someone may be able to endure years of exposure without any perceivable effect. For example, Meredith Stannard used it for years throughout Dragon Age 2. And the only effects that we see are her becoming crazier and crazier, which is an effect for sure. But like there's no physical effect there that anyone would have known. Um, In addition, you can be largely immune to the debilitating effects um, of Red Lyrium as long as you don't go into withdrawal from it and uh, this example is Riley Sampson and we will talk about this a little bit later in the episode however both Meredith and Sampson are were Templars and it's possible that they have uh, like extraordinary levels of willpower their Templar training and um, just previous experience with untainted lyrium maybe slowed the speed at which red lyrium corrupted or didn't corrupt them so um we're not really sure if that's a templar or non-templar thing but also to make it further complicated the seekers of truth have shown to be largely immune to lyria or to red lyrium as well though it can still poison them if they ingest it in large amounts so 
we're not really sure if red lyrium affects Templars and Seekers differently. I would imagine that it does personally. That would be my take on it, but that is not confirmed. Well, it's also interesting because like, I guess this comes by that it does depend on the individual, but like Bartrand is almost immediately affected by red lyrium, whereas like both Bianca and Varric handle it and seem to be okay with dwarfs natural resistance to um magic and lyrium though i guess bartran and barracks might be lessened so because of them being surface dwarfs same with bianca right exactly but it is interesting that bartran has reaction to it so quickly so quickly i mean like the idol calls out to him immediately um and, and pretty much from then on there, like it's over for him. So uh, when Templars do ingest Red Lyrium, it improves their powers and grants them new ones. And it also basically pushes their strength to superhuman levels, which we do see in the game. And even, even the average uh, Red Templar is far superior to like a normal person. And a few Red Templars can fight a group several times their number to to basically a standstill and um they're just immensely powerful and in in perhaps the most extreme case a specific templar said uh, that he could march for days without rest and break a man like kindling yeah even to say like the effects of that sometimes red templar turns or Red Lyrium turns these Templars into monstrosities. Yeah, the monstrosities, the behemoths. Um, yeah, it's all gross. Like we're all of that is referring to like when they still look like humans. Yeah. Do you know what I think is super interesting though? What? That so I think they're called horrors or something, but it's one of like when the Red Templars start to get like manipulated, they look like the old model for abominations when you would fight them in DA2 or DAO. Yeah, they do a little bit. Um, I don't know if that's intentional or not, though. Um, well, let's talk about the history a little bit. So following the opening of the breach, uh, Red Lyrium basically begins spreading all throughout the surface of Southern Thetis. And it begins spreading in these little crystallized nodes, which we do see throughout DAI. Note, this is important to note, that regular lyrium does not grow throughout Thetis. The only places we see regular lyrium growing in nodes are in the deep roads and in the fade. And I think maybe a couple like super deep caves, you may see it as well. But red lyrium can grow anywhere. It's almost a more insidious version of regular lyrium. And it also spreads very rapidly. Basically, once it's rooted, it's it's almost impossible to remove completely. This frankly reminds me of kudzu. Um, if you're from like the southeastern part of the United States, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's basically a plant that covers just everything and you can never get rid of it completely so if you know what what kudzu is that 
that would be a very good comparison to, to red lyrium and at least in terms of it growing and spreading. Uh, kudzu is, is nowhere near as toxic and dangerous as red lyrium is, uh, but anyways. So as we discussed last time, Bianca Davri is uh, the one that discovered that red lyrium is actually regular, that red lyrium is regular lyrium that has been tainted by the blight. And I think that is probably the most interesting thing about red lyrium is that it's blighted lyrium. And, you know, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but something that's interesting to me is that magic and lyrium is typically blue and red lyrium is typically red. Well, what happens when you combine the two? You get purple. What color is DA4? purple i just wonder if that's not you know another thing that we'll be dealing with in the next game i just had a theory but i don't think i can share it because it's kind of really off topic no just go ahead what if there aren't actually two elven pantheons and the forgotten ones are just blighted elven gods. So you're saying some, they used to be part of the pantheon. No, I'm saying that like, because each each elven god kind of has like a counterpart in the forgotten pantheon. I mean, we don't know that because there's well, only a couple in the forgotten ones. Right, but they, but in a lot of ways they represent like the opposite that the Evaneris, uh, uh represent. Yeah. So what if like they're just blighted versions of those gods? But how would that, how would they then have two bodies? We don't know if they had two bodies. That's what I'm saying. I just don't understand the point. Like, I don't My, understand how they would become, because the Evanuris were people. They were real elves. So how would they have another body? I'm not saying that they have another body. Then where I'm did their body go? I'm saying that I'm not saying that the Forgotten Ones is a separate body than the Evanuris. I'm saying that they were be they became the Forgotten Ones because they became representations of like the opposite of what they were because they were blighted. So you're saying that they become blighted, they stop being part of the Evanuris, and then become part of the Forgotten Ones. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, one of the Forgotten Ones is just Elgernon, but he got the blight, and so he's now different because it corrupted him. And that's why Solus locks them away. Yeah, I think that is um, a really interesting theory. I don't know if it would be accurate, but I think it's definitely interesting. Right, and maybe they had a way to unlock Red Lyrium in a different way to enhance their magical powers, which gave them more power than the regular magic users. And maybe that's what Andriel was hunting in, in the, in the void. Yeah. All kinds no, of possibilities. I think that's, that is uh, an interesting and at least parts of that theory are possible. I think. All right. Anyway, back to the history. I derailed us too long. No, that's okay. I was going to actually say, um, because there's not a lot of history, because there's not a lot we know about Red Lyrium um, outside of Inquisition. 
So let's take a break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Enchantment? Enchantment! You need me. Ugh. I am yours as always. So welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things with the Dragon Age lore gas that don't have to do with the lore of Dragon Age. And so this is where we remind you that we do have a Patreon if you want to support us. We have various tiers where you can join, get all kinds of benefits from ad-free episodes to coming on the show and getting your name read out every episode. And so with that, I'm going to thank our patrons. Thank you all for who you, for supporting us in whatever way you can. And we're going to read our uh, first patrons, as we always do every episode of the show. And that is Genesis, uh, Lisa M., Derek B., and Zuba. Yeah, thank you all so much for being our first five patrons. And I honestly, I can't remember if we uh, read our new pa- newest patron's name on the last show. I don't think we did. So um, our newest patron is Rain. And Rain actually subscribed at the Divine tier. So Rain is our very first Divine tier patron, which is really exciting. And that means that Rain gets their name read out on the show every week. We really appreciate that support. Another way to support us if you cannot do it financially is to like and review us on Apple or Spotify. On Apple, you can leave us a five-star review and some words. And if you do, we will read it on a future episode of the show. Uh, Shelby, I don't think we have a review to read today. We don't today. All right. That reminds you that we are still doing that. If you want to pop into our Discord, reach out to us on Twitter and show us your hero, Hawk, or Herald, we will read them out on the show. And we'll celebrate their choices and share their story with the entire podcast community. And with that, I would like to remind you that we do have our own Discord. If you want to hang out with us and talk with us and get the news first... You need to come and join our Discord server, the Cups Podcasting and more. If you hang out there, uh, we have a lot of fun talking about Dragon Age lore. Uh, We share pictures of our pets. You can see our dog Snips. Um, You can also join there and check out our other podcast, the Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or my other podcast, the Holocron Histories Podcast. And you can also join the Robots Radio Discord if you are looking for more shows to listen to and you love video games, especially this Lorecast format, that's the place for you. You can find everything from Marvel to Elder Scrolls to Halo, lots of stuff going on there. All Out, The Witcher, Romance, all kinds of stuff. Definitely yeah. join us over there. Yeah, it's great. Both links will be in the episode description. I think that's all we have for the middle show. Yeah, I think so. So let's get back to it. Well, that was uh, Orlesian. Dareth Shiran. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. All right, so let's get into some dwarven history for a minute because 
obviously lyrium is dwarven and so it goes to assume that red lyrium has something at least to do with the dwarves as well and that's accurate so thousands of years before like the present day so this would be still in the ancient age not exactly sure the year but before the rise of the dark spawn so this is a long time ago house valdecine single-handedly supplied all the lyrium to the rest of the dwarven empire i'm going to repeat that again because it's important one house house valdecine single-handedly supplied the lyrium to all of the dwarven empire but one day they shut their doors and did not open them to anyone not even a visiting paragon after days of silence the doors were finally opened but they didn't find anyone inside no evidence of what had transpired the only thing they found left from house valdecine was a red lyrium idol that had been reportedly worshipped and a staff of strange metal which looked like lyrium in response the dwarven king ordered the idol and the staff to be left inside and they sealed the tag such was the danger that the existence of the tag was struck from the memories so that it would be completely forgotten okay Obviously, this is the idol that we find in DA2. What the heck is this staff? And it's not there when we find it. Yeah, it's just the idol. Now, this episode is just sending my theories racing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Could, like, what if a mage, like, used a red, a staff made of lyrium to char- channel their magic? Well, I mean, actually, that's not that that uncommon because there are sta- staves, staves, staffs, staves. There's a difference, apparently. I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, there are stat whatever. There are multiple of them that you can get in the game that are like lyrium infused staff or whatever. But this is different because it's made out of lyrium entirely. Right. Right. So, as we know, in 931 Dragon, an expedition into the Deep Roads rediscovered this tag using old Grey Warden maps. This expedition, of course, was led by two dwarven brothers, Bartrand and Varric Tethrys, and the human Hawk. While exploring the tag, Hawk and Varric find the idol. When they showed it to Bartrand, he then immediately betrayed them and stole the idol, intending to sell it for a fortune and left them to die. Still further in the Taig, Hogg encountered the profane, rock wraiths that feed upon red lyrium, claiming that, quote, they feast upon the gods. In the following years, as a result of prolonged existence, Exposure to the Red Lyrium Idol, Bartrand gradually succumbs to insanity. Austin, I can see and hear that you are freaking out that this goes along with your theory. The dog it's my theory. <laughs> it's my theory. Do you have more thoughts? 
That's all. Well, it's also a thing about, you know, uh, I guess it depends on what you think about. Like, the Titans aren't really gods, but the dwarves believe that Lyrium is Titan's blood. Right, but also regular Lyrium is Titan's blood. So what's red Lyrium? God, can you imagine a red Lyrium Titan? Don't speak that evil. Don't speak that evil into the world. When we encounter a red Lyrium Titan in, in Dad, I'm blaming you. You know, you could be blaming Bioware, but whatever. You spoke it into existence. Do you have other thoughts before we move on a little bit? No, I don't. Okay, so eventually Bartrand sells the idol to Knight Commander Meredith Stannard, who forges a sword from it. Exposure to the Red Lyrium within her sword fueled her paranoia until she became completely corrupted by its power. And as we know, she dies during the Kirkwall Rebellion in 937 Dragon. She is then petrified in Red Lyrium after a failed attempt to draw more power from the sword. It's pretty terrifying when you watch it happen in real time. Yeah, it is terrifying. And even worse is like nobody cleans her up. So it's like she she's just there in the gallows for a while <laughs> afterwards. It's creepy. Yeah. So in the aftermath, um, of the destruction of the Temple of Sacred Ash. So we've moved on from DA2 to DAI. Red Lyrium begins appearing all over Southern Thetis, and a splinter faction of the Templar Order appears. They call themselves the Red Templars. And so they consume Red Lyrium, which corrupts their bodies and transforms them basically into monsters, at least eventually. So um, autopsies on Red Templar corpses has shown that the relationship with Red, Temp- with Red Lyrium is parasitic. Essentially, the Red Lyrium eats the Templar from the inside out as it grows. This process is extremely painful and demands a careful balance between allowing the Lyrium to change a person so that they can manipulate it, but doing so carefully enough that they are not immediately consumed and lost to madness. So we see this often in Inquisition, even though we don't always realize that this is what's happening. So with the giants in the Empries that are like having the red lyrium crystals out of their bodies, Fiona, others, um, and the behemoths, all of those things, like this is all this process. The the behemoths are at the end stage, like they've been completely consumed by the red lyrium. Fiona and the giants are, I think, different stages. The giants are are dying anyways, because I think they're trying to mine lyrium from them. So it's not really working. Um, and, And so we see this in different stages a little bit. Um, but the important thing to note about this is that red lyrium is parasitic. Interesting. So that's most of the content of what we know about red lyrium. Our side character is going to take a little bit longer than it normally does just because we don't know. I mean, like there are some definitive things we do know about red lyrium, but I suspect there's a lot more to this story that we'll get in DAD. So. 
Do you have any more thoughts about Red Lyrium before we move on to our side character? Nope. Just that it's creepy. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure you can guess who our side character is going to be. Um, our side character is Riley Sampson because he is one of the only Red Templars that we know by name that we know of like a lot of information on him. So you ready to talk about Samson? I guess. You guess. I think this will really change your opinion of Samson. Because I know you're just like, eh, he's whatever. I feel for Samson, especially in DA2. Okay, well, okay. Just let's get into it. So Samson is a former Templar from Kirkwall, who we see in Dragon Age 2 as a beggar. And who we can see in Inquisition, depending on our choices. Um, and we may see him as Corypheus's second in command. So Samson was part of the Templar Order before Meredith became Knight Commander. According to Samson, the preceding Knight Commander, a man named Guy Leon, or Guy Leon, personally gave him his son shield that's the shield he uses he was later dismissed from the order by meredith after she caught him delivering messages between a young mage named maddox and his lover in kirkwall when samson is dismissed as a templar he essentially goes to live on the streets because he has no other options and he turns into a beggar, essentially. But he continues to help smuggling young mages out of the circle in order to earn money, of course, but also because there are a lot of mages who need help to get out of the circle. Um, and so the money that he earned from this, he would, he would spend on lyrium because he's addicted to it at this point. So Samson has actually been addicted to lyrium for years. And when we see him in Dragon Age 2, he is suffering from deep, deep lyrium withdrawal. He admits that the Chantry and the Templar Order do not require or force Templars to stay, but leaving eliminates the ability to continue taking lyrium since the Chantry controls the supply of it. And I brought a quote from Samson that I really think highlights this problem. And this is what he says. Templars have always been used. How many were left to rot like I was after the Chantry burned away their minds? And this, this quote is really sad and it does highlight the problems Templars face. But the quote, of, the part of the quote about burning away their minds is what really sticks out to me because I think that it, and deliberately, I think it, it strikes up a parallel between Tranquil and Lyrium Addicts. Yeah. Um, I also think it like this quote perfectly sets up Samson as the foil to Cullen. It's just a point of... Samson is this foil to Cullen that they could easily have had their situations reversed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important like to talk about how Templars like do have power and they are the oppressors, but at the end of the day, like the basic like rank and file Templars, most of the time they don't really have like a choice. You know, they may have joined the Templars when they were children or been sent to the Templars forcibly by their parents. 
And by the time they're adults who want to leave, they're addicted to lyrium and can't. And no, that's not quite the same as like having your entire emotional center taken away and being forced, imprisoned almost in a circle. But it's, it's still, it's still a, a place and a system that's unjust for, for both of them, I would say. It's still a system that the Chantry has created to keep these two groups of people subservient to them. Yeah. In right. summary, blame the Chantry. Exactly. And that's what I was just going to say. Even though I don't think the Chantry is totally bad and not everyone in it is, it's created a lot of systems that are supremely messed up. Anyway, so Samson is involved in multiple quests. Specifically, he's involved in Wayward Sun, which is searching for Fainreal in Act 1. He's involved in Best Served Cold, which is Thrask's efforts to get Meredith out, and during Dragon Age Inquisition. So Samson also appears in a short story titled Paper and Steel. You can find it online, but I wrote a summary and brought a few quotes from it. It's very interesting, and I very much recommend reading it. So essentially, the story is about Samson's journey to Corypheus, how he gets from Kirkwall to Corypheus's second in command as um, commander of the Red Templars. It also follows him as he's the general of Corypheus's army set in or just before the events of Dragon Age Inquisition. However, throughout the story, he has many flashbacks to his time in the Templars, his time in Kirkwall, and then how he joined with Corypheus. It's a really interesting read, like I just said, and it's not too long. So if you are really interested in learning more about Samson, definitely read it and check it out. The link will be in the episode description. Okay, so here's kind of a long quote. His soldiers gathered at once with perfect discipline like the Chantry Templars they had once been. But now their obedience wasn't chained to the bloody chant and the lyrium forced down their throats. Young recruits and veterans, men and women, they were united by a greater purpose, a better cause than some unseen makers. Something else united them too. And you could see it better when they were all gathered like this after a fight. They each had a strangely reddish cast to their eyes revealing the source of their strength interesting that like the view is like red lyrium is like not a corrupting force but as something that unites them is interesting yeah exactly and also it's interesting that that it's framed as like a anyone can join this not like the chantry that's so exclusive not like the chantry that wants to keep us down i think they have a point their faith is just maybe placed in the wrong thing Definitely, definitely that it's very much a view of like Samson isn't the typical villain who's like, oh, yeah, I'm evil. Ha ha ha. It's like, no, I'm doing good. Like you all are the villains. Exactly. So that perfectly turns into my next quote. I brought three so we can kind of talk about each of them. Second one is this. Eventually, Samson heard thick, strangled breathing and turned to it without fear. He paused as he came amongst hulking shapes that towered over him. 
each as red as cinnabar with eyes that shine flatly in the early starlight. Samson spoke to them calmly but firmly and was answered. A general takes care of his troops, Samson told himself, even if some must sleep in a different camp, even if he has to steal himself to look at their faces. Right. And specifically mentioning like the corruption that's happening to the Templars and Justine Redbarium. Right. So this is this is illustrating that you have almost two different armies, two different groups of Red Templars. You have ones who are still fully human. You have ones who are still able to walk amongst regular people and and be feared, of course, but not looked at as an abomination or a monstrosity. And then you have another group of Red Templars who have basically been consumed by the Red Templar and have turned into behemoths and all the other ones um and they have to sleep in a different camp hidden away from regular people because they're too scary too frightening okay my last quote we're going to break this blighted world and rebuild it there will be blood and a lot of it will be ours he hardened his tone and said some of you will change maybe into something monstrous but then you'll be invincible We have to be monstrous. You think the world's going to change because you ask it to nicely? We are fighting a beast that's had its righteous claws into Thetis for far too long. We need the same ruthlessness. It takes fire and an anvil to forge a sword. Isn't it worth the sacrifice? What's the price of your heart and soul? The right to be your own. And this is said in a speech to his army. It's just interesting to me, like how much he thinks that what he's doing is like this just thing. And that like Samson, if you asked him, he said, there is no mage, like this mage Templar war. He would side with the mages. I'm almost positive. That's an interesting point. I'm not sure, but regardless he sees the Chantry as the enemy. That's what's so interesting to me because I don't feel like Corypheus cares at all. Like he just wants to destroy everything and he wants to rule. But Samson sees the Chantry as an enemy, as the enemy. Yeah, I think that Corypheus probably would want to see the end of the Chantry, like specifically, mainly because he would blame them for the fall of old Deventer. Yeah, that's fair. But let's get back to just some general information about Samson. This, that, all of those quotes are from the short story. And I think it does give a lot of insight into his character. So again, read it if you're interested. But let's move on a little bit. So Cullen Rutherford did share quarters with Samson when Cullen came to Kirkwall. And he says that he did think that Samson was a decent man at the time. Uh, Samson is also probably in his late 40s in Inquisition. And in Dragon Age 2, Samson's eyes are really big, like larger than others, um, especially his pupils. So this is pretty typical for some drug addicts, people who are struggling with drug addiction. So I think it makes sense that that would also apply to people who struggle with addiction to lyrium. So Samson's favorite food is Starkhaven fish and egg pie 
which I think sounds absolutely disgusting, but to each their own. Yeah. Um, Samson's armor in Inquisition bears the sigil of Kirkwall on the back torso. In Inquisition, while at Haven, Samson leads a group of fully corrupted Red Templars and Venatori to attack the Inquisition. Samson personally takes the field, and this is when Cullen recognizes him. After Haven, the Inquisitor can then investigate Samson at Cullen's suggestion. You can then find his base and lead a raiding party to capture him, but Samson does also flee. Um, And this only happens if you side with the Templars, right? Yes, because you have a different quest if you side. Like, no, you have to side with the mages to get Samson. The Templars, if you side with the Templars, you get the Calpurnia. That's right. So the Inquisition eventually recovers the tools that Maddox, one of Samson's, um, what, what, Maddox is one of the people that report to Samson, and he is also a character in this short story. So the Inquisition recovers Maddox's tools, and these are the tools that were used to forge Samson's armor. And from them, Dagna is able to basically reverse engineer a rune that can disable his armor. So Samson encounters the Inquisitor in person at the temple entrance. Um, This is the Temple of Mithal in the Arbor Wilds. And um, basically he storms the gates with a platoon of Red Templars and they're just kind of laughing and and making jokes and and pushing through wildly as they blast open the temple, as they blast open the temple's inner sanctum. They then fight their way through the temple in close combat with the Elven Guardians and eventually come face to face with the Inquisitor beside the Well of Sorrows. Samson reveals he has been chosen by Corypheus to drink from the well, which would then become the vessel of its knowledge for Corypheus since his armor, quote, has made him a fortress both in mind and body. However, at this point, if you inform him of Maddox's death, Samson loses his composure and remarking mournfully that his friend, quote, died as one of us, one of the faithful. So after this, Samson then attempts to kill the Inquisitor once and for all. If the rune was acquired, Samson's armor can be disabled. Otherwise, the Inquisitor and the companions face him at full strength. After the battle, Samson is defeated and taken prisoner by the Inquisition's troops, and you can sit in judgment against him. It's really interesting to compare Samson versus Calpurnia, because even with Samson, even with telling him, hey, like, your second in command is dead, it it affects him. Um, but it doesn't phase his mission. Whereas with Calpurnia, you can basically tell her everything that Corypheus has done and enslaved this person and, and all of this stuff. And she, she deserts him. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's just, I think it 
very much plays into like Samson believes in Corypheus. He believes that Corypheus is a replacement for the maker. Yes. And he thinks that that Corypheus will deliver on all these promises that he's promised him and will destroy the Chantry, which is what he wants to 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 happen most of all. Right. So if the uh, Inquisition sides with the Templars, Samson's fate is unknown. However, a letter to Calpurnia suggests that Corypheus no longer has Samson to lead the Templars and that he has, quote, failed. We don't really know for sure what this means. Um, But I would assume, personally, I would assume that if you side with the Templars, Samson dies. And if you side with the mages, Calpurnia dies because they're like the opposites. Right. I think that's probably true. Um, it's also possible that like if you side with the Templars, Samson doesn't have the supply of red lyrium that he needs and in creating the armor and like getting it to fuse with him, basically, he dies in that yeah. experiment. Yeah, I think that's also accurate. Well, that's about all I have about Samson. Do you have any final thoughts about Samson or red lyrium? Um, I do like feel for Samson and I think that the stories of Corypheus is second in command. I believe we've done Calpurnia before. Um, I can't remember, but their stories really like resonate and like Corypheus is manipulating these people to like serve him. They are as much like, even though they're doing terrible things in his name and believe him, they are victims of his malice and his plan. yeah you're right um i don't think we've talked about calpurnia but she is on my list i believe um but yeah it's it's very striking how much she and samson are are both victims of the manipulation of corypheus and is also striking to me like how much he uses and exploits their stories and what's happened to them to basically force them to stay loyal to him. Right, right. It's supremely messed up. Well, that's all I have for the episode. Well, that's all I've got. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And we will see you next week on the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. 
You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.